If you would open your Bibles again to uh, Ephesians. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, down through verse 14. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is the word of the Lord. Father, these are great and mighty things that we just read. Lord, may we deeply know them May your spirit instruct our hearts. Remind us that we're yours because you love us. May we know the sealing power of the spirit of God. Lord, would you be pleased to do this? Do a work that is too great for me or any man. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So I have to say that the best part of this sermon is over. It doesn't get any better than that. I can't say it any better than that. I can't expound things this great any better than what you just heard. That was the best part of today's sermon. Everything is downhill from there. It's really a a dizzying text. It's bewildering. When I was younger, I wouldn't get, uh, wasn't really afraid of heights, and now they make me dizzy. On our trip this year out west, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not going out on that ledge. I'm not going to climb up on that rock. I'll, I'll get sick. 
Felix, when um, he was having a birthday not long after we moved here and asked what he wanted, he wanted to go to Six Flags. All right, we'll, uh, we'll go over to Six Flags together. How many of you guys have been Six Flags in Dallas? Yeah, the, the, the new Texas giant. You like that ride? It looks tame. You come in the park, it's a wooden roller coaster. I'm like, man, it's a wooden roller coaster. How bad could it be? Felix is like, come on, let's go. All right, let's go. I got off that thing, it could barely stand up. It's fast. It's got twists and turns. It looks smooth and, and kind of nice and cute over there, an old wooden roller coaster. No chance, it's terrible. It made me sick. In some ways, this, this text, that, that kept coming to mind because this text is kind of that way, it's bewildering. Maybe not at first glance, but you, you sit with this a little bit. You sit with these truths a little bit, these, these statements about who God is and who we are. Consider them not as cold and distant theological realities that exist out there, but us in them. It's bewildering, and it should be. What's bewildering about this text is, again, not just what it says about God, but how it enfolds us as believers in Christ into this narrative of who God is Himself. We are the recipients of the incredible love of God. We have received incredible, limitless blessing from God. We have been chosen by God from the very foundations of the earth. We have been predestined to be adopted by God Himself in Christ Jesus. It's an astounding statement. We have been bought with the precious blood of the Son of God. Our destiny is to be fully united with all things in God forever because of Christ Jesus. We have heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and are so sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. These are astounding realities. It has beautiful structure. It's in Trinitarian form, verses 3 through 6, open with a view of God the Father as the blessed Father of Jesus and the source of all blessing on earth or in heaven. Then in verses 7 through 12, it turns to, to, to examine the person and work of the Son, Jesus Christ, and the glorious accomplishments of redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses in Him. Lastly, 13 to 14, Paul turns his attention to the sealing power of the Holy Spirit. He sees that we believers are in union with God Himself through Christ by the Spirit. All of this high theology 
you need to, to notice is a prayer. I'm really glad we opened with this prayer of adoration because that's exactly what it is. This cornerstone and this foundational theological text in Ephesians is a blessing. It's a praise. In some ways, in fact, all of Ephesians could be seen as a prayer journal of Paul. He's in, he's in prison. And we know in chapter 6 he asks for prayer. But throughout the first part, he's praying. He's praying to the Father here. He's praying to the Father for the saints in Ephesus. This little letter is full of prayer. Here's how we'll approach this passage today. One, we'll talk about the Blessed Trinity. We could have easily broken this down into its constituent parts, but it, it flows together. It is one long run-on sentence in Greek, although it's made up of these different parts that have uh, clear unity about them. But I wanted us to see the, the beauty of the Trinity right here in front of us. Next, we'll look at how we are chosen by the Father, how we're bought by the Son, and lastly, sealed by the Spirit. We'll let that structure drive the chain. First, the blessed Trinity. This prayer, this blessing is oriented around the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is vital because this is precisely who God is. This is the way that God is presented to us in His Word. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We need to understand the Trinity. Because to understand the Trinity is to understand something of God Himself. It's not something that we make up. It's something that God has presented us with in His Word. God is the eternally blessed. Yes, we get enfolded into this text, but God is blessed in and of Himself. All of this, Father, Son, and Spirit, wrapping us together in with Him. In John 17, we find out a, a bit about this oneness of the Father and the Son. Jesus prays, Holy Father, keep them in Your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Verses 20-23, through 23, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. This union of the Godhead is being prayed for with us in mind. Again, it's not just some cold and distant reality, some truth that exists outside of us. This is the foundation for the unity of the church. What can be said of the, the Trinity? Again, this is who God is, and as such, we worship Him for who and what He is. The Westminster Confession says that to see and understand God for who He is places a demand on each and every one of us as His creatures. To Him, God, 
is due from angels and men and every other creature. Whatsoever worship, service, or obedience, he is pleased to require of them. The Trinity isn't just some cold, distant reality. It is to elicit worship and praise. It is so that we will be astounded by who God is. Bewildered by the height of His character. The glory of God exists in the unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. He's one God. He lacks nothing. He needs nothing. The good news of the Gospel is good news for us. God isn't waiting on that good news. He is the source and blessing, the, the fount of good news that comes to us. He didn't do all this because He lacked something. He is Father, Son, and Spirit eternally in union with Himself. When God brings us into fellowship with Him through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit, it's again not because He lacks something. It is by sheer love and grace. How can the church apply the Trinity? We need to begin to see our lives, our salvation, the the life of the body, the church as people united in God. Our unity comes from this. We're joined together because God is joined together. We are to look like Him to the rest of the world. We are to be shaped and formed by who He is and be the the face of that, to, to be those representatives out into the world. As we struggle with unity as a body, the world notices. As we lay aside differences, as we lay aside all these things that could divide us, conflicts in families, between members, with our neighbors, as we set these aside in the name of Jesus, for unity, we're showing the world who God is. Are we Grace Presbyterian Church, a church that believes in a triune God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If so, what does that look like? Are we showing the world the unity of Father, Son, and Spirit in the way that we love and relate to one another? This is a Trinitarian prayer. It opens with our being chosen in the Father. Paul has just announced grace and peace to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he goes on to spell out exactly what that grace and peace looks like. It's astounding. This blessing runs in two directions. It's Paul blessing and addressing the Father. But then he says, who has blessed us? in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You cannot out-bless God. You cannot say enough about Him. You cannot offer enough praise to Him. Blessed be Him, yes, 
But then he immediately turns and says, He blessed us with everything. You can't outbless him. You can't say enough about him. You can't praise him enough. You can't worship him enough. He's blessed us with everything in Christ, in heavenly places. God is the source of all blessing and union with Christ is the nature of that blessing. Our blessing God as a result of His blessing us with everything in the heavenly places in Christ. The gifts of God are spiritual in nature. Here we're flagged already with the Spirit of God. We'll begin here and we'll, Paul will end here with the sealing of the Spirit. Every spiritual blessing we have is from God through our union with Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, who's blessed us with everything in Christ. We cannot have the peace of God apart from the Father providing peace for us through our union with Christ. We cannot be people who know the grace of God apart from God the Father through the Son who received judgment so that we could receive grace. We will not have an eternal future of heavenly blessing apart from God the Father through the Son who now sits enthroned in heaven ruling and reigning over all things giving us an inheritance. God Himself is the source of all blessing, both now and in eternity through Jesus Christ. He's the source of it all. There is no grace and there is no peace apart from this. God blessing us in Christ. What exactly is the nature of this blessing? He's going to spell out two blessings and two benefits. First, we have been chosen by God the Father before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless before Him. Children of God, you who are in Christ, you are chosen by God. That is a blessing that is yours from God. You're chosen by God. This is an unqualified statement. Paul is not telling us how all this works. He's telling us that it works. This is the reality of who you are in Christ. You are the chosen of God. Not only are we chosen, but our being chosen isn't separate from our being in Christ. We're chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. Essentially, you could view it like this. We're chosen because Christ was chosen. And we are chosen being wrapped in Him before the foundation of the world. Paul says that union with Christ gives two benefits. We are called holy. We are chosen to be holy as a result of our union with Christ. We who are unholy from birth and by sin are called holy in Christ. It's an astounding truth. He doesn't just call us holy. He goes, he goes further saying blameless. We are all to blame. 
We bear blame for the bad choices, the shame, the sin that we experience, the failure. But because we're chosen by the Father in the Son, we're called holy and blameless. The next blessing, He predestined us. We're chosen by the Father. Predestined means previously ordained or appointed to some position. This destiny is not based on anything that we have done or not done. This is not based on anything we will do or won't do. This is based and sourced in God and Him alone. Paul says here is that God is the planner, the originator, the sovereign over all things, including our salvation. This comes with, again, two benefits. Adoption to God Himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Our election isn't some static reality. We're all good Presbyterians. Of course we're chosen. Of course we're predestined. That's why we're all here. Is that some static thing? Again, is that just something like the Trinity, just some out there truth that we're like, oh, right, we're we're good Presbyterians, we're chosen. Right, we're predestined. No, he says, to adoption as sons. Predestined to be children of God. We view God as our loving Father. And how would that really change the way that we lived and experienced life as Christians? To see ourselves as sons and daughters of the Most High. Predestined to adoption as children of God. And then he does something astounding. Again, he's, he's not telling us all the hows. He, he doesn't tell us how all this stuff works. It works in the mind of God. But he does tell us a bit of the why. This goal of predestination and adoption is to the praise of God's glorious grace in the beloved that is in Christ. We're predestined for praise. We're predestined to see ourselves as the children of God by sheer grace and we're predestined to give praise, to give thanks for Jesus Christ. God will receive glory as sinners are brought into the family of God. God receives glory in Christ as we are children of God and we live not as slaves of God, but as children. I love the line in how firm a foundation. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for Jesus to refuge have fled. What more can he say than this? Beloved child of God, You are chosen by the Father, predestined to be His child. What more can He say? Choosing and predestined, again, 
isn't this, this kind of out there reality? As we consider the, the nature of these things, how do we deploy them in our lives? Yes, we uphold choosing and God predestining us. Yes. Those things used to win arguments. Or are they used to the praise and glory of Christ? That's how Paul is using them. He's not using them to win some theological argument. He's using them to say to Ephesus, this is who you are as the people of God. How do we use these truths? None of us here nor in church history have fully plumbed the depths of God's sovereign choice and predestination. We haven't. Our brother Calvin did a lot of great work and he didn't. The sovereign mind and pleasure of God is his. We have this revealed to us. It's beautiful. It should cause praise. But we, we don't know why. We don't know all, all the answers for how all of this works. And we should be okay with that. These truths should erupt in us in praise to God. These truths should create profound humility. That our lives are enfolded in this great God through the person of Christ and sealed by the Spirit. It's an astounding message. Again, we, we don't know exactly how it works, but we know that it exists this way to the praise and glory of God. If you believe that you're chosen by God, elect in Christ, predestined in the beloved for an inheritance, does that ring with praise in your heart and in your lips? We'll have more to say about this in a moment, but Paul is saying right now we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, which means we lack nothing. We lack nothing. I have to tell you, this does not define my Christian life. Sometimes I feel like I lack. If I only had this, this person's gift or that person's ability, then I would be there. He's saying the source and fount of all our blessing is, is in this heavenly inheritance that we have in Jesus, that we really lack nothing. So we've seen that we've been chosen in the bosom of the Father from before all, all worlds. Now the text goes on to say that we're purchased by the Son. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Notice again that every bit of blessing that we have is rooted in Christ. First Paul says that in Christ we have redemption. We've been bought back. This one word redemption should alert us to all that we've just studied in the Exodus. 
The Exodus was a snapshot, a Polaroid picture of redemption. Here's what redemption looks like. For us sitting in the pews, we, we have a hard time sometimes wrapping our, our minds around this, this language, redemption. What does it mean? It means to be bought out, and it looks like Israel. Stuck down there in Egypt, in bondage, in slavery, 400 years. And it looks like God rising up for them, saying, that's enough. I love you. You're mine, and I'm coming to get you. And I'll buy you out of there. And I'll bring you to myself so that you'll worship me, and so that all of your life will be formed around me. That's redemption. Paul is taking all of that language and putting it right on us and saying we have redemption in Christ. We've been bought out of the slave market of sin. Through His blood. Yes, this text is all about grace and peace. But it is not cheap. It comes at a high cost. The very blood of Jesus Christ shed. How could God view us as adopted sons and daughters and call us His very own family because the Son took our place. He took our place in His perfect life and His atoning and sacrificial death on a cross outside the city gates. He became a curse for us. Then He conquered death and glorious resurrection, redemption, comes through the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Again, this is a bewildering text. Paul then spends the next several verses spelling out in more detail the mission of Christ, showing us just how big redemption really is. Verse 8, the grace of God in Christ has been lavished upon us in all of God's wisdom and insight. God's wisdom, His insight. That's why we can spend a lifetime plumbing the depths of the gospel. That's why we don't ever figure it all out. I have not figured all of it out. There are treasures in the gospel that we will spend eternity plumbing. Verses 9 and 10, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, listen to this, as a plan in the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. All unite in Christ. This this vision of this ethereal other as heaven is not a biblical vision. The biblical vision of heaven is heaven and earth touching, coming together, and all things, when that happens, being right. Heaven and earth coming together in rightness. No more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more useless, pointless division. A uniting of all things. And he says it's in Christ. Heaven touches earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is the trajectory of all of this blessing. This is where it's going. 
This is an answer. Paul's writing here of all things being united, things in heaven and things on earth. This is an answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We just prayed it earlier. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Heaven come down on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth exactly as it is in heaven. Heaven united on earth with Christ. Reconciling all that's wrong with the world. Bringing what we have glimpses of now. We're in the already. This is already broken in in Christ. And yet the old age still remains. Sin with it. We await the consummation of all things. All becoming one in Christ. No more concern over daily bread. No more concern with trespasses or trespasses against us. No more being led into temptation. No more deliver us from evil. We will be delivered from evil. The kingdom, the power, and the glory of God on display forever and ever. And Paul is saying all of this happens in Christ. This is a present reality again. It's broken into to time and space in Jesus. In verses 11 and 12, it says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined again. We've obtained this inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. He has predestined us according to God's purpose and will for the glory of Christ. This whole thing can be viewed through the simple grid of union. We are in union with Christ. And in Christ, we are in union with the Father and sealed by the Spirit. Child of God, Paul wants us to remember that we are not loved. We are not the beloved because of something in us. We are not the beloved of God. We don't receive redemption because we deserve something good. We are the beloved of God. Redeemed in Christ by sheer grace. The chosen ones. The predestined ones to receive this lavish gift of grace. Again, What should that produce in us? It should produce a profound holiness, an eruption of praise and worship. The center, the cause, the source of all of this is not our faithfulness, but the covenant faithfulness of God who rescues us from death and takes us to life. What do we do with Paul's phrase here, we who are the first to hope in Christ? He's speaking about the Jews. He's speaking about Christ actually coming to the Jews. Salvation being in Judea at first. 
We who are the first to hope in Christ. But then he doesn't just leave it there as this static thing. Again, he he goes forward. And here we have to talk about the sealing of the Spirit. So he doesn't just leave all these blessings and inheritance and adoption and all of that. He doesn't just leave it with the Jews. This is foundational to, to understand what he's saying in Ephesians. He says this blessing extends out. Verse 13, in him you also, Ephesians, you also Gentiles, you also idolaters, those not raised in the house of Israel, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of Christ, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You have it too. Do you see the damage this does to division? And he's going to lean on this later when he, when he takes a wrecking ball to all the things that could divide us. He's going to use this theology right here. Yeah, we we were the first to hope we have this inheritance, and you do too. How do we view that in our neighborhoods? How do we view that in our community? People from every tongue, tribe, and nation here together. Are we, Grace Presbyterian, any more worthy of the blessing of God than, than anyone else? Oh, let this level the playing field in your heart. Let this remove and unseat anything that would be in the place of who God is and what He's saying here about the nature of His salvation. Let it knock down social barriers. Let it knock down economic barriers and racial barriers. That's exactly what He's doing. That's what he, He's going to do in this beautiful letter. He's going he's gonna to root it right here. This blessing that was begun in the Jews is now extending out to every nation, tongue, and tribe. God is building worshipers from all over for Himself. He tells us how when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him. I love how simple and straightforward that is. You heard the word of truth. You heard the gospel and you believed in Christ. And you were sealed in the Holy Spirit. Sealed by God Himself. Listen, the stamp of God on our lives, on us as individuals in Christ, is the Holy Spirit. Listen, this... This text should make us sigh, a huge sigh of relief. Look at what God has done. I am chosen in the Father. I am redeemed in Christ Jesus, the Son. And I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. To you, brother or sister, those of you that are striving after identity, that you're striving after love and appreciation and value, you're striving to cover shame 
Your life is full of blame. You feel unholy and utterly unworthy. Listen to this text. Listen to what God is saying to you and over you. Listen to the blessing that is yours in Christ Jesus. That's why this is a bewildering text. It should make you dizzy at how much God has done for you. Are we going to hoard this good news? Are we going to go and tell? Is this going to be some cold and distant reality in our hearts that we're going to use to win arguments and be utterly theologically correct in our community? Are we going to spread around light and salt and say, listen to how much God loves you. Be astounded at God's saving grace in Christ. Are we going to assure those that are wavering, are we going to assure them of salvation in Christ and point them to the sealing of the Holy Spirit? Listen, it's my hope and prayer that this foundational text, these foundational truths would inform the rest of our study and, and that they would actually change us. That we would be shaped in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. These truths are very great. They're too great for us to take in. So would you, again, lend your spirit, shape our identity, form in us this good news. Give us radical humility. Let us be astounded that we have been chosen by you. God, our Father, before all worlds, in the beautiful and redemptive work of Christ, the Son, and sealed by the Spirit, and may we be shaped by that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.